Hello, and welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources or to read her blog, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. Welcome to our study of the New Testament book of Romans. This wonderful piece of scripture was initially written as a letter to the church at Rome, and we learn in the very first verses that it came from the Apostle Paul. You may wonder why so many of the New Testament epistles begin with the author's name instead of dear so-and-so as our letters do today. Well, in those days, letters were written on parchment that was then rolled up in a scroll. And so it was customary for people to briefly identify themselves at the beginning of the letter so that the recipients would not have to unroll the entire scroll to find Find out who had sent it. This message to the Roman church was likely written between 56 and 58 AD. And as with many of Paul's other letters to the churches of that time, he wrote it not only to encourage the believers in Rome as they lived for Christ in difficult circumstances, but also to teach them sound doctrine. We know that Paul had not always been known by that name. Initially, he'd been known by his Hebrew name, Saul. As a rising star in the Jewish religion, he'd been trained by some of the best scholars of his day, and he'd belonged to a religious group within Judaism known as the Pharisees. These rather self-important individuals held themselves apart from all other people. In fact, the very name Pharisee means a separated one. They were proud and strict followers of the Mosaic law, and because of their self-proclaimed holiness, they wouldn't even allow an ordinary person to touch their robes, lest they somehow be contaminated. Like all Pharisees, Saul tried to faultlessly follow the law of Moses, and he was so well regarded by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, they had made him one of their chief persecutors of Christ followers. You see, they needed someone that they could trust to ruthlessly stamp out this growing threat to their authority. As it turned out, though, God had other plans for Saul, and as he journeyed to Damascus one day to arrest the Christians there, Jesus appeared to him on the road. That encounter with Christ completely changed Saul's life. On his way to persecute Christ followers, he became one of them. He stopped fighting against the Lord he'd seen as an enemy and became his willing and obedient servant. And God gave him a specific mission to preach the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles, those people who were not Jewish by heritage and so had no standing, no welcome among the people of God. From that time on, Saul became known as Paul, which was the Gentile way of pronouncing his name. At the time he wrote this letter, Paul had not been able to visit this group of believers in person, though he'd wanted to very much. And as a Roman citizen himself, he would have had a deep love and concern for the city and also the church there. This letter was a way of introducing himself to them. 
preparing the way for a face-to-face encounter in the near future. But Paul had another purpose in writing. Like many other churches, the church in Rome was made up of both Jewish and non-Jewish Christ followers, and that created some tensions. The same tensions that the apostles in Jerusalem had addressed in Acts chapter 15, and that Paul had written about in some of his earlier letters to other churches. You see, some Jewish believers were insisting that the Gentile believers needed to be circumcised and that they needed to obey the Sabbath and also eat kosher. In other words, they had to obey all of the Jewish food laws if they wanted to please God and follow Christ. But the council of Acts 15 had decreed otherwise, pointing to the fruit of Paul's ministry as evidence that the Gentiles received salvation by grace, just as did the Jews. The gospel message was the same for both groups of people. So Paul was writing to the church in Rome to unify them around this truth that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone. He wanted them to know the importance of the gospel message and he hoped that as they grasped the truth about Jesus, they would become more committed to seeing the gospel spread than to squabbling among themselves. In fact, Paul hoped that the church in Rome would one day become the pushing off point for the gospel to spread throughout all of Europe, even as far as Spain. Consequently, Paul's letter is a detailed explanation of the gospel message. And in fact, many Bible scholars describe Romans as the most thorough presentation of the gospel in the entire New Testament. He wrote to make the certain truths of the gospel plain for everyone. He begins by showing how all people need the good news about Jesus Christ. In the first chapters, he explains that there is nothing that we can do in order to save ourselves, because no matter how righteous we try to be in our own strength, we can never be good enough to earn our way into God's presence. And in the following chapters, he then goes on to explain the good news about what God has done, that because of our need, because we cannot save ourselves, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, to take the punishment for sin that we deserved in order to pay our debt, so that in him we can receive the grace and mercy of God that we don't really merit. He explains that those who accept Jesus as the only way to be reconciled to God the Father are saved, that by believing in Christ and his resurrection from the dead, we're born again spiritually and no longer controlled by the sin that once bound us. Instead, we're free to live a life that honors the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, who now lives within us. And last of all, Paul urges that like him, we will faithfully proclaim this gospel, this good news to the very ends of the earth. So with that then as our introduction, let's turn to the text of this book in Romans chapter 1, where Paul introduces himself. 
Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Because the church in Rome had not yet met him, Paul chose his words very carefully. He begins by explaining who he is and, in a sense, why they should listen to what he says. Paul declares that Jesus Christ, whom he served, had set him apart as a messenger of the gospel. This was not a position that he'd chosen for himself. He says that he'd been called to be an apostle. And as the word apostle, or in Greek, apostolos, really means one who is sent out, Paul is declaring here that it was Christ who had sent him out as his servant to do the work he was now doing, taking the good news of salvation to the very ends of the earth. Paul wanted the believers in Rome to understand that the gospel is not a new message, a new religion. Rather, it is the fulfillment of all that God had promised to do beforehand through the prophets and the scriptures of the Old Testament. The prophets in the Old Testament had long spoken of a Messiah who would come and deliver God's people. The Hebrew word Messiah means anointed one, and when translated into Greek, it becomes Christos, or Christ in English. Jesus Christ is Jesus the Messiah, the one specially anointed by God to do his will. The Messiah was not merely God's servant, the prophet said. He was God's own son who entered humanity as the one who is both God and man. The prophets declared that as to his earthly human nature, the Messiah would be a descendant of King David, coming from David's tribe and his family line. And we know with certainty from the historical record that Jesus Christ was a son or a descendant of David. That's why the genealogies in Matthew and Luke are important. They recorded his lineage. He was fully man. However, in accordance with God's promises, Jesus was also the Son of God born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus is the perfect union of God and humankind. He is both fully God and fully man, as the early church confessions tell us, and he came to dwell among us, as the Gospel of John reveals. Though Christ was fully human and experienced all that we do as human beings, he was unlike us in one regard. He was without sin. He lived a perfect life, but Jesus did far more than that. He died a death he did not deserve, becoming a substitute for us. He died in our place. Our sin was placed on his shoulders at the cross, and the judgment of God that should have been ours fell upon him.
But death could not hold Christ, and Paul declares that by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ was raised from the dead, thus proving him to be the perfect Son of God. This is the Jesus whom Paul served, and this is the same Jesus we serve as our Lord. In verse 5, Paul revealed that he received two things from God when he believed in Christ. Through him and for his namesake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So firstly, Paul received grace. The word grace in scripture is used to describe a gift from God that is completely free to the recipient and completely unearned by them. In his days as Saul, Paul had been used to working his way up the ladder. He'd been accustomed to striving to impress people by what he did with all his legalistic righteousness. But God's grace had given him a relationship, a friendship with God that he had not earned and did not deserve. It was a free gift or at least it was free to Paul, it had cost Jesus greatly. Secondly, in addition to the grace or favor of God, Paul had also received a calling from the Lord. The Lord had prepared him for a special task, to bring the good news of Christ and his sacrifice to the Gentiles so that they too could become part of God's chosen people. He was to call all people to the obedience that comes from faith. This is important, as this is the first mention of the word faith in the letter. And do you see how it's mentioned as being connected to obedience? From the very opening of his letter to them, Paul made it clear that faith always leads to obedience. Jesus himself said this in John chapter 14 verse 15. If we love him, we will keep his commands. When we believe in Jesus Christ and trust him for salvation, our lives will be altered. They will be changed. Faith is not simply a state of mind or an emotion. It is seen in what we say and do. Think of what a remarkable change had occurred in Paul's life and how the church in Rome must have marveled at this transformation. Remember I said that Paul had originally been a Pharisee, one of the proudly separated ones. Well, Pharisees not only separated themselves from other Jews, they loathed Gentiles, thinking that those outside of the nation of Israel were only fit for the fires of hell. Paul had thought like that once, before he'd accepted Christ as his Lord and Saviour, but now God had set him apart in a different sense, for the Lord had called him to spread the love of Jesus to all, to both Jew and Gentile alike. He was being sent out to bring all people into Christ's kingdom, to make even the Gentiles part of God's beloved people. And according to verse 6, that same calling was upon all of those in Rome too. For all who are called to belong to God are called to spread the gospel to whomever will listen. 
Paul knew that because he had not met those in Rome, that there were potential barriers that would need to be broken down if these people were to accept the truth he had to share. After all, some in Rome might have seen him as a meddler, giving unasked for opinions. He knew that he needed to come alongside them before speaking into their circumstances, and so he does this in his greeting in verse 7. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints, or in other words, his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul greets the people of Rome as being both loved and called by God to be his saints or his holy people. The word saints is not just used of a few very special people in the New Testament. No, it is in fact the word that is used to refer to every person who believes in Jesus Christ. We are all saints. We are all holy in his sight. And Paul greets them with the important phrase, grace and peace. Now, in those days, Christ followers who came from a Gentile background would greet one another with the word grace, but believers from a Jewish heritage would use the customary word shalom or peace that had always been used as the greeting among Jewish people. By using both of these words here, Paul is including both Jew and Gentile alike in his address, and he reminds them that both the grace and peace that are theirs are indeed gifts from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, who had brought these different people groups together. Paul then begins with a commendation, saying in verse 8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. People often find it so easy to be critical of others, but in reality, far more can be accomplished if we would only learn to start out with praise. Paul was grateful for them because word about their faith in Christ Jesus was being reported all over the world. They were not hiding their faith, but were rather living it out in such a way that people from all parts of the world spoke of them. Paul may have also been speaking prophetically here too, knowing all that the Lord would do around the globe through them in the future. For even today, as we look at this book of Romans, we're still speaking of those in Rome who stood for Jesus Christ by faith. Paul told them that he prayed for them constantly, and he expressed how he hoped God might give him the opportunity to come to visit them in the future, and then he explains why he wanted to come in verse 11. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. 
I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. Paul had planned to visit Rome on many occasions, but somehow each time he'd been prevented from reaching his goal. However, he trusted that God had a good purpose in all of the delays and that perhaps the delay was more about the Lord preparing a harvest of souls in that city so that when Paul eventually did come to preach, many would be ready to receive the gospel message just as they had in other places he'd visited. I especially love, though, what Paul said to them in verse 11 saying that he longed to see them not only so that he could impart some spiritual gift or blessing through his words to strengthen their faith, but he also longed to see them for the great encouragement that they would give to him too. The truth is, you see, God's family need one another, and Paul shows his humility here in that he expected to receive encouragement from them as well as to give it. Now, I want you to think about this. Paul was really the greatest teacher in the early church, and yet notice how he did not look at his relationship with others as being one-sided. And I really think that, in part, that's what made him such a good teacher. He expected to learn from them as well, because he understood that the Holy Spirit could use them just as he was working through Paul. Because of all Christ had done for him, Paul felt that he had an obligation to all people everywhere to preach the gospel, stating in verse 14, I am obligated to both Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Now, such a mighty weight of blessing had produced in Paul a feeling of indebtedness, an obligation to spread the good news about Jesus, and all true Christians should feel a similar debt. Perhaps it seems strange to you that Paul would mention the Greeks while talking to the church in Rome, but we must understand that when he referred to the Greeks, he was not talking just about people who had come from Greece. In the days before the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great had spread across much of the known world of that time, and so did their culture. They were a refined and well-educated people, whereas those who had no knowledge of the Greek way of life were often usually quite the opposite. When Paul talks about being obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish alike, he really means that it was his duty to share the gospel with both the cultured and the uncultured, the educated and the uneducated alike. Paul had a message for the whole world, and that was why he was so eager to come and preach in Rome, so that everyone there should come to know the truth about Jesus Christ. In verses 16 and 17, 
Paul explains why he feels such an urgency about preaching the gospel, and he lays out what most Bible scholars believe to be the general theme of his letter to them when he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul begins by stating that he was in no way ashamed of the gospel, and if you think about it, that truly is a remarkable statement. Paul had endured a lot as he preached the gospel. Previous to writing to the Romans, Paul had been imprisoned in Philippi. He'd been chased from Thessalonica, and when he got to Berea, the believers had to smuggle him out of the city in the dead of night in order to protect his life. It wasn't only danger he faced in preaching God's word, though. When he finally got to Athens and Corinth, he was laughed at and ridiculed because of its message. And yet, for all the abuse he had suffered, Paul did not shy away from being personally identified with the gospel or from the potentially offensive elements its message contains for those who are far from God. He was willing to hold to its truth and share it with others because he knew that it alone is the cure for what ails us. He was able to endure every hardship that came his way because he knew that the good news about Jesus Christ was in fact the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Paul was speaking at a very evil time in history. Tyrants ruled and the immoral culture of the day seemed to be falling deeper into chaos. The human life had no value, evidenced by the gladiator games that were so popular in Rome, where men killed each other for sport. Divorce and sexual perversion were rife. Unwanted babies were often thrown away by their mothers, and disabled children were put to death. They had a vast slave trade, and truly anything could be bought for a price in Rome. Yet, many lived in abject poverty and were looking for a hope, a message of salvation. They looked to the government to lead them out of the chaos, but the only way a person or a society can be healed from the sickness of sin is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. He knew that it alone had the power to change absolutely everything. The gospel is really the story of redemption, for despite all that we may have done, God has made a way for us to be made right with him. Because Jesus took the punishment for our sin upon himself, because he bled and died on the cross, separated from God the Father, we can be reconciled to God if we turn to him in repentance and faith. 
Paul described it this way in another of his letters, saying, God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Paul reminds us here in verse 17 of Romans 1 that this righteousness in Christ is by faith from first to last. Then underscoring that truth with a much repeated phrase from the Old Testament, he declares the righteous will live by faith, not by good works, but rather by utter faith and trust in the love God has expressed in Jesus Christ. Jesus came to us so that we could enter into this new and restored relationship with God the Father by faith in his sacrifice. All of us, Jew and Gentile, Greek and not so Greek, wise and foolish, we all need Christ's atoning blood. For it is in Christ Jesus alone that the God whom men had thought of as an enemy has become a saviour and a friend. This is the gospel. This is the good news that we must receive and also share with others. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your message to our hearts today and thank you for Jesus. Lord, I pray you would ignite a passion for the gospel within us and that you would equip us over the next weeks to be able to share the truth of what Jesus has done with others. Lord, let it all be to the glory of Christ's name and for the extension of his kingdom. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you, and I hope you'll join us next time as we pick up in the second part of this chapter. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.com.